Hey everybody and welcome. I'm glad you're here today. I'm so glad you found your way to us and these lessons that we've been studying. We're looking at the disciples and their calling and how of all those he called as disciples, he chose 12 to be apostles. And so we are looking at those callings in this series. And so I'm so glad that you are being a part of it. We had some technical difficulties last week, but I did get that lesson posted. And I hope you will take a look at those Sons of Thunder. <laughs> you know, I started thinking about that later and I thought, you know, I think I raised two Sons of Thunder. <laughs> you know, thankfully they are wonderful men and they um, are just a joy in my life. And so I'm thankful for my own sons of thunder. Would you call your kids sons or daughters of thunder? Oh, that's what Jesus named them. So I hope you'll go back and take a look at that one if you did not look at that lesson. Uh, the first uh, lesson was about the calling of Andrew, and then we moved to his brother, Simon Peter, and then we looked at those sons of thunder, and today we are going to look at the calling of the remaining eight. You know, I'm debated about how long to give each of the apostles, but there's just not a lot we know about many of them. So I'm grouping them all together. So I encourage you to now go run and get your notepad and just begin to list the apostles and write a little note down next to them. Because what I think we're learning is how each calling was a little different. Some were just really miraculous and others are only mentioned by name. And so there's something we can learn from each of them. And I think we can find ourselves in their stories. And that to me is so important to find ourselves in scripture. So uh, we are, have been focusing on a, a lot of the encounters that these people had, these men had with Jesus. And so today we're going to look at some more. Uh, we are going to look at the calling of the remaining eight. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, well, we've all had a calling and what is yours? You know, I was a little girl. I was in the first grade and I felt Jesus tugging at my heart. I, you know, I had known him all my life. I had known who Jesus was. I had sung the songs all my life of Jesus loves me and all those wonderful little songs I learned in the nursery and in preschool and kindergarten. And so it was so natural for me just to say, yeah, I know who Jesus is and I want to give him my life and I want to live for him. And so I knelt at my parents' bedside and we prayed. And then I joined the church a couple of weeks later and I was baptized. What was your calling? Go ahead and just comment there and tell us what, how you felt God calling you. Was, were you a child? Were you older? Did you have a dramatic calling? Or was it one that would just seem to be a natural calling and a natural next step for you? Because that's, those are the stories that we are hearing about. Now, let's remember the difference between a disciple and an apostle. Uh, disciples are those that that Jesus was was calling to come and listen to him and to learn from him and so they became followers but then Jesus chose 12 apostles and those were those who were not only going to follow him but they were going to be teaching they were going to be 
patterning their life after Jesus and teaching others about him. So that's the difference between the two. Now we're going to look at the next two disciples that Jesus called as another pair. We had Andrew and Simon Peter, and then we had James and John, and those were two sets of brothers. But we're going to look at these next two as a set also. This is Philip and Nathaniel. So when Jesus meets Philip, he just says these four words to him, come and follow me. That was it. It was that simple. It was so simple that Philip did not even question it. I have to assume that Philip had been observing, he had been watching, and he knew who Jesus was. And so when he got the calling, he was ready. And that could be your story as well. You know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, well, now, okay, where are you going? And how many nights will you be in this place? And how much is it going to cost me? And uh, will we have a place to stay? And are you sure that you want me? He didn't do that. Oh, isn't that so much like what we might do? He was just ready when Jesus said, come on now, come and follow me. That was the key in Jesus' ministry. He would say those words, come and follow me. So he became one of those disciples early on and became an apostle. But he must have been a pretty quiet one. His name is only mentioned a few times in scriptures, but the Lord wanted him. And I like how Jesus chose all types of people to follow him. Uh, now, Philip does what Andrew did when he first met Jesus. He goes and he is excited and he tells someone else. See, that's the pattern. Isn't that supposed to be the pattern? This time he told a man named Nathaniel. So Nathaniel uh, is, is the first one that Philip tells about the good news. And you know what he said? I love the way he did this because you know it's important to know who you're talking to and know a little bit about the background. Sometimes that's important. Other times it's like, um, who cares? I want to tell them anyway this good news. But he happened to know that Nathaniel was Jewish. And so he would have been like all of the Jewish men. He had been studying about the one who's mentioned in the law and the prophets. And that's how Philip approached it. I found him. I have found the one. Remember Andrew said those words also? Those were important words. Think back to how long the Jews had waited for more prophecy about this coming Messiah. Remember, it had been 400 years since the last prophet had preached about the coming Messiah. But they all knew, all the Jews knew that this was the story and that this is one they were waiting on. And that's what Philip said. So Philip believed immediately that Jesus was the son of God. And he went to tell Nathanael that the Messiah whom Moses had prophesied about has come. And he says, this person is called Jesus. He's Jesus of Nazareth. This is important. He told him that much. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, remember that Nazareth was this small town. It's where a lot of poor people lived and, and many Jews lived there. And it was not a likely place for a great person to come from. It was not the place that you would think that the Messiah would come from. And so here is what Nathaniel said to Philip. Can anything good really come out of Nazareth? And you know, Philip could have said a lot of things. He could have gotten defensive. 
he could have given a whole list of things that, that he knew about Jesus, but he didn't know much. Here's what he said, though. Here is the smart answer. He didn't try to persuade. He said these three words, come and see, come and see. You know, isn't that a good lesson for us when we don't know quite what to tell other people, but we just say, come and see and give it a try. I know many of you in my WOW Bible study just do that. You don't know everything to tell people, but you just say, hey, come, come on and see. Come to our Bible study and just see for yourself. Just learn for yourself about uh, the Bible and what, what uh, we're going to be taught and learn about all these wonderful women who are there. How many of you out there got that word from somebody. Somebody told you, come and see. Go ahead, get those responses in there. That's going to warm my heart and it's going to warm the hearts of all those others who can understand and relate to that method. Come and see. Jesus wants all of us to come and see. He, he doesn't expect us just to take someone else's word of salvation. He wants us to question and to really know what we're doing. And so when people may not, you know, they want to probe you and, and, and get you to say things that you can't, you're not ready to say, just tell them, just come on and see. I don't have all the answers, but we're gonna go and we're going to learn together. Well, the greeting Jesus gave Nathaniel after he heard that Nathaniel had said that, like, who is this Jesus? And really, can anything good come from Nazareth? Here is what Jesus said to Nathanael. He said, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile, in whom there's just no pretense. Nathanael was out there. He just said what was on his heart. But what Jesus did was he could see right into the inside of Nathanael. He knew his heart. He knew that Nathanael was not deceitful, that he was not filled with the deceit and the guile that the scribes and the Pharisees had. Uh, they made a big pretense of religion and Jesus could see that Nathanael was not that person. And here's what happened. Nathanael went from skeptic to believer. Were any of you that way, a little skeptical, but now you are a believer? And so we, we kind of get into the mindset of Nathaniel. He's thinking, okay, this person knows me on the inside. <laughs> okay, he really knows me and I just met him. And so Nathaniel said, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Isn't that a beautiful instant moment of revelation that Nathaniel had? Well, revelation can only come from the Spirit of God when it comes to those heart matters. And that's what Nathaniel experienced. He said, you are the Son of God. Nathaniel recognizes that the one in front of him was that promised Messiah that he had been studying about, even though he came from the little village of Nazareth. Well, as we find out, um, read more, and learn more about Philip and Nathaniel, we know that they were in the key places of Jesus and his ministry, but we don't know very much else about them. Uh, here's what the Bible, the last time Bible, the Bible mentions Philip is one of those, he was one of those gathered in Jerusalem to pray uh, when the Lord was ascending into heaven. And here's what we learn about Philip is that he later went on to Turkey to be a missionary and that is where he was martyred. Let's remember Philip. 
with one who had enthusiasm and he knew that he should go and tell. And then Nathaniel, uh, he became a missionary to Asia. We, we don't know much else about his ministry during those three years or uh, much after Jesus ascended to heaven. He witnessed in what is present day Turkey and he was mar martyred for preaching in Armenia. Uh, perhaps uh, they say he was flayed to death by a whip. But let's remember Nathaniel of, as one who was a skeptic, but who became a believer. So we're learning about the calling of them. We have six now that we have studied, and we see that each calling was just a little bit different. And they each reflect the personality, the nature of the individual. That's what our calling is also. Let's go to the next one that Jesus called. It was Matthew. He was also called Levi. He was called uh, separately later uh, than the first six. Perhaps this, his calling is the most plain example of the grace of God uh, when Matthew was called. He was like one of the most unlikely followers of Jesus because he was a tax collector. And here's what scripture tells us about calling. In fact, Matthew later went on to write his own gospel, and here's what he tells us. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed him. There were those words again, follow me. Now, let's get the backstory so we know how Matthew was able to follow him, perhaps. Again, we have to uh, assume some things. Jesus had been teaching in that area where Matthew lived. It was in Capernaum. And this is where Jesus had made his headquarters in the Galilee. Many of his spectacular miracles had already occurred. And so we have to assume that Matthew was aware that he had heard the stories. Maybe he had been in the distance and watching and observing. They were traveling in the same circle. And so seeing Matthew at his tax collector's booth, Jesus Jesus knew because he was divine and he knew that there was a backstory with Matthew and that Matthew was probably ready when Jesus approached that tax booth and said, follow me. And Jesus was, uh, and then Matthew was immediately transformed into a disciple. Now that was a miracle. Let's see how much of a miracle it really was. Uh, we think of Matthew before he met Christ as a totally immoral person. Uh, the statement that he was sitting at the tax booth is just loaded with meaning. At that time, there was probably not any more depraved person than a tax collector. See, the Roman Empire took bids for the right to collect taxes, and these agents uh, paid a set amount to Rome. And, but they could keep everything else for themselves. So everything else was, as we call it, gravy. And that's how they could make their living. So uh, tax collectors would enrich themselves by preying on the impoverished people. Uh, they would slow down trade. Uh, they would operate pretty much like a local mafia. So they were very depraved people. Um, they were also despised for collaborating with foreign powers and so 
it was very unlikely that someone like Matthew would just on his own uh, want to just believe and follow Jesus. But Matthew lived there in Jesus' headquarters. Um, what do you think he, he must have heard? What, what were those, what was going on in his mind? Uh, because he, his tax booth would have either been right there at the entrance into the town or right there by the docks. And I had the privilege of going there to Capernaum and I've seen both places. Um, it's highly speculated that he was at the gate of the city there in a tax booth, which was not very far from the Sea of Galilee. The water was right there. This was also right next to the highway called the Roman Way, and that's where a, a lot of people traveled, and it's where commerce was executed right there. They were um, traveling from one city to another with their goods. And so he was right there in the center. Everybody knew who Matthew was. So he had probably heard and seen Jesus many times coming in and out of this city. <clears throat> in fact, these are the things that he might've been aware of. This is where the, the paralyzed man was lowered into the roof of the home. And so <clears throat> that's a story that would spread like wildfire. And so he probably had heard that. Also, it's in the area where Jesus had cast out demons and he had healed a multitude of people right there in Capernaum. But what? But prior to the moment where Jesus called him, nothing seemed to have had the slightest effect on Matthew. That's what we assume, isn't it? But here's what we know. The Holy Spirit calls us to him. The Holy Spirit is working in us. And we don't know how the Holy Spirit is working in people. And we can be just one more little piece of that puzzle to draw someone closer to Jesus by saying and doing the things that Jesus would have us to do. And and being the example in the life of others that would be the one thing that might just draw them closer to Christ. So there he is in the booth, carrying on business as usual, as uh, usual without any visible evidence of what had, had gone on before when it came to Jesus, but something was stirring in him. And see, that's how the Holy Spirit works. And that is where, when Jesus called him, here is what scripture says, he rose up and followed him. Well, on this same day that Jesus invited Matthew to follow him, uh, Matthew threw this great feast for Jesus in Capernaum, and he invited his friends to see Jesus too. There, once again, he followed, and as others did, he told he followed, and then he told others. And what happened from then on, instead of collecting money, Matthew began to collect souls for Jesus. And despite his sinful past, Matthew was really uniquely qualified to be a disciple. He had that extraordinary story. He kept accurate records he had to as a tax collector. He had been a keen observer of people and he could capture the smallest details. That's what we learned in the writing, the gospel of Matthew. So these experiences and these traits served him well as he became an author of the gospel of Matthew. It was 20 years later that he actually wrote that. 
Well, he displayed one of the most radically changed lives in the, in the Bible in response to an invitation from Jesus. He didn't hesitate and he didn't look back. And here's what he left behind. He left behind a life of wealth and security and he ended up with a life of poverty and uncertainty. He was willing to do that because Jesus had called him. He ended up abandoning the promises of the world for the promises and the hope in Jesus Christ. Well, the remainder of his life was uncertain, but tradition tells us that he preached for about 15 years right there in Jerusalem following the death and resurrection of Jesus, and then he went into the mission field into other countries. Um, how he died is disputed among the scholars, but many say that he passed away from natural causes. That was unusual for uh, the apostles. What we do know is that he was once a vile and corrupt tax collector, and then he became a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And that's the message for all of us, isn't it? We once were, we can all say that, we once were, or we have been, and now here is who I am. Well, let's look at the next calling. It is of Thomas. Now, he is not a major Bible character by any means. He's only mentioned eight times in the New Testament, and four of those were just in the list of the 12 apostles. Well, we first meet Thomas when Jesus calls the 12 to follow him, and he was warning them that there was going to be persecution and there was going to be terrible tribulation to come, but if they trusted him, God was going to sustain them. And so Thomas, like the other 11, accepts this demanding responsibility. And so Thomas, like the others, began to travel with Jesus, and he learned from him during those three years. Now, we do have some stories that give us a glimpse into the life of Thomas. Um, even though they're very few, I think they're very powerful. When Jesus' life was at risk by returning to Judea after Lazarus died, Thomas was very courageous and he told all the other uh, apostles that they should go with Jesus no matter what the danger. So that gives us insight into who Thomas was. Uh, Thomas was honest with Jesus and his disciples. Once when he didn't understand the words of Jesus, Thomas was not embarrassed to admit it. And he said this, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? <laughs> he questioned Jesus about that. We're, we're having a hard time kind of following what the plan here is. You know, others had to be thinking that. Don't you think it all the time? I think it all the time. I think, now, really, Lord, I don't know where we're going with this. And it would be a lot easier if I knew the path, if I knew exactly what to do. Thomas was courageous enough to say it. And the Lord's answer to him is one of the most memorized passages of Scripture. It's found in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's what he said. You come to the Father through me, through a relationship with me, you will come to our Heavenly Father. Now, that is the basic plan of salvation. Know that I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and through me, you will get to know your Heavenly Father. So, thank you, Thomas, 
for being a, a, the one who's courageous and bold enough to question Jesus. Well, like the other disciples, Thomas also deserted Jesus during the crucifixion. And despite the fact that he and the others had been listening and to all the lessons that Jesus taught and he had been seeing all the miracles, Thomas is the one who demanded physical proof. Remember that? He didn't believe when he saw Jesus at the resurrection uh, that it was it, it, him. He just couldn't believe it. And so his, his faith was one that said, I have to touch. I have to see for myself. And so that, thank goodness that he asked that because, you know, they, that was the way that we can relate to him, that he too needed to see something and he needed to experience something. Well, um, all of the disciples, remember, except John deserted Jesus. So most of them misunderstood and doubted Jesus. But Thomas is the one who is the one who spoke out and he put his doubts into words. And notice that, that Jesus did not scold him when, when Jesus said, you know, Thomas said, you know, I, I just need a little bit more. Instead of rebuking Thomas, he had this compassion for the human struggle that Thomas was going through. In fact, Jesus invited Thomas to touch the wound and see for himself. So because of Thomas, we have these inspiring words of Jesus, and they are found in John 20, verse 29. Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So there it is for both sides, whether you need to see to believe or you can believe without seeing things. Then he, he says, Jesus says, I'll take all of you. Uh, Thomas' lack of faith has served to encourage all of us believers. Well, today, millions of people stubbornly still think they need to witness a miracle to see Jesus um, and, or to see him in person. And we know that's not possible right now. But what God asks us to do is to come in faith to him. Come in faith. Well, here's what the tradition tells us that after Jesus resurrected and ascended to heaven, Thomas went on to carry the gospel message to the east, and he also was eventually martyred for his faith. Well, we're going to look at the next three apostles, and they are a little bit more obscure, and we even know less about them than we do the others. So we're looking now at James, and put in your notes the son of Alphaeus, because we've already had James and John, the sons of thunder, and this is not that James. It's not that James who was the son of Zebedee. Uh, all we know about this James is his first name and his father's name, and that he was one of the original 12. And his name is only mentioned four more times, and those are in the list of the apostles. So we don't know any details, but here's what we do know, that, that even though he seems to be obscure, he was not obscure to Jesus. Jesus saw something in James, the son of Alphaeus, that, that he knew that he needed and wanted on his team. And so, it, again, we all don't have to have this dramatic testimony to be used by God. He used this, this obscure person that we don't really know anything else about. He can use all of us with whatever gifts because he sees in us. Well, let's look at the next kind of obscure apostle. It's Simon the Zealot. 
So now we have another Simon. We had Simon Peter. This is not that Simon. He's called Simon the Zealot. We're not sure why he's called the Zealot. He could have been a zealot in the Jewish faith, or maybe they later called him the zealot because he was a zealot for Jesus. We don't, we don't really know, but he was one of the 12 apostles. He, he plays no particular role, and he's only mentioned in, um, as one of the, in the list of the apostles. Um, he could have been in this Jewish sect, and they were called the zealots. Uh, we're just not sure, but we do know that Simon the Zealot, like the others, would have been sent somewhere to spread the gospel, just as all of the others were. We think maybe he, he went to preach in Egypt uh, after Jesus ascended. But Jesus saw something in Simon the Zealot that, that he, Jesus knew would make him capable of spreading the gospel of the kingdom of heaven throughout the earth. Well, here is another mystery apostle, and his name is Thaddeus. Again, he's hardly ever mentioned. And to complicate matters, Scripture refers to Thaddeus by different names. Oh, my goodness. Have you given your kids multiple names? <laughs> well, Thaddeus was known by so many names. Uh, Bible scholars suggest that Judas not Iscariot, was likely given the name given to Thaddeus at birth. So see how that gets complicated. Also, again, you can't make it up because who would write fiction with the, using people with the same names? Uh, the only recorded words of Thaddeus are found in John chapter 14. Jesus and the 12 disciples were in the upper room right before Jesus' death. And the apostles all had questions and they had concerns. And Jesus told them that the Holy Spirit was going to be with them and he would descend upon them and that Jesus was no longer going to be with them. Well, confused, Thaddeus asked Jesus this question and it's found in John 14, verse 22. Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Well, his question reveals a few things about him. Um, first of all, he felt comfortable enough in his relationship with Jesus to interrupt him with a question. See, that's very telling. Uh, the second thing we can see is that Thaddeus wanted to know why Jesus would treat the disciples different from the rest of the world. And number three, uh, like most first century Jews, Thaddeus, Thaddeus was expecting a Messiah that would reveal himself in power to the world. Remember, they thought that they were going to have a Messiah who was going to take over ruling the kingdom of Rome and to be an earthly leader. So see, all of these men were still confused about that. But Thaddeus gave voice to it. It was important enough that it was recorded in scripture. And so again, we can learn from these apostles, uh, how courageous they were and how determined they were and how faithful they were. Well, the answer Jesus gave Thaddeus was really simple when he asked that question. And it's an important lesson in our faith journey. It is found in John 14, verse 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. He's telling Thaddeus that 
I'm doing the same for you as I am for everyone in the world. He began with the word anyone, anybody who comes to me and who's going to obey my teaching. He said, they're going to find a home with me. And then he adds this, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And so do you see how Jesus was the great equalizer? He's telling Thaddeus, don't worry about this because I am coming for everyone. You know, our own love for God is expressed through our obedience to his teaching. And that's the lesson that Jesus was telling Thaddeus. Love and obedience are inseparable for Christians. And when we're looking at our faith journey, that's the question we ask ourselves. My, is my obedience showing my love for Jesus? That's the ultimate question, isn't it? Well, nothing more is revealed about Thaddeus in the Bible, but we know that Thaddeus, like those other disciples, left his former life to serve Jesus Christ faithfully, enduring hardship and enduring persecution. After Pentecost, Thaddeus uh, took the gospel message north, and that's where he preached and he performed miracles and he founded a church in the area of modern Turkey. And again, uh, tradition is, it says they're a little uncertain about what happened, but he was either clubbed or axed to death for his faith. And another report says that he was crucified. But let's remember this about Thaddeus. He was not afraid to express his doubts and concerns to Jesus. That's a takeaway lesson for, for us. All right, we finally get to the last disciple, Judas Iscariot. Well, while the Bible tells us how Jesus called some of the disciples, that is not the case with Judas Iscariot. He simply listed among the 12, and so we don't know the details of his calling, but here's what we do know. The Gospel of John tells us that Judas Iscariot was in charge of the group's money. Now, that right there uh, kind of it confuses us, doesn't it? You know, why was it Matthew who was a tax collector? Well, maybe his previous reputation was more than they wanted to overcome. But here's what we know. The Gospel of John tells us that Judas was uh, the treasurer and that he unfortunately used that position to steal, didn't he? There is one account in the story of Martha and Mary where Mary anoints Jesus' feet with a, a pint of that expensive uh, perfume. And here's what Judas speaks up and says. And I'm reading from John chapter 12. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Well, on the surface, that sounds like a reasonable question. But he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Now, that's what the Apostle John tells us in his gospel. And he says he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So that's how we know of Judas Iscariot. And here, before Jesus is arrested, he is in prayer. And, and in this prayer, he asks God to protect his disciples and says that none of them have been lost while he was with them, with one exception. And he says, it is the son of perdition, Judas Iscariot. Jesus is saying that Judas was totally lost. 
He called him the son of perdition. That essentially means that he was doomed. Uh, he was trapped in unrepentant sin. You know, um, so many of the apostles were called, he called attention to them because of their wonderful, beautiful traits, but not with Judas Iscariot. More than anything else he ever said or did, Judas Iscariot is identified as for betraying Jesus. See, after watching Jesus heal and perform miracles for those three years, how could he not be influenced by the power of Jesus Christ? Why would Judas betray Jesus? Well, in their writings, both Luke and John write that Satan entered Judas and influenced him to betray Jesus. You see, Satan thought that killing Jesus was just going to ruin everything for Jesus, but the crucifixion was part of God's plan all along. We read in Matthew's gospel, though, that Judas did have a change of heart. We read in Matthew 27, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Matthew records that Judas hanged himself immediately after the chief priests refused to take their money back. See, with a kiss, Judas Iscariot sealed his own fate and he became one of the most reviled characters in the Bible. And at the same time, he triggered the most celebrated event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, let's, let's note that none of these men that Jesus chose are the same. Nathaniel isn't like Peter, who isn't like Philip or Andrew, and Jesus just uses all types. They were all just plain, ordinary men. They weren't kings, they weren't trained fighters, they weren't trained teachers, they were not experts in the law. They started off as 12 ordinary men about the business of trying to get by. You know what? We may all identify with that. Yet Jesus promised them that they were going to see amazing things when he said, come and follow me. Their ordinary lives were going to be changed one by one into something extraordinary. Here was the beginning. With just a few average fishermen from around Galilee, Jesus began a movement that was going to sweep the whole world. You know, we're going to look next week at our own calling. We're going to look at how Jesus commissioned these uh, 12 uh, after he was ascended into what their work was going to be and what it was going to really mean for the world. But these 12 are like many Christians today. We live, we work, we're faithful. We die often without little recognition. Most Christians never get their names in the church bulletin. <laughs> they never get their names called out for the work that they do. They never teach a Bible study. They never get the spotlight in any way. 
They simply follow Jesus in the background. They simply do what Jesus calls them to do. Let's use this lesson to inspire us to be faithful, to be faithful to our calling and be fruitful. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the stories we learn in the calling of these 12. I thank you that we can find ourselves in many of them. I think it takes going back over them and, and studying them again and, and calling to our memory uh, the stories of each of them so that we can see how ordinary they were, how much like us they were. Help us, Heavenly Father, to be inspired by that and to think about our own calling, to be thankful for our calling, and then practice this week being faithful. Looking forward to next week. Thank you all.